Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours, as always. Today's guest is somebody I'm extremely familiar with because she's a member of Heaven 17. Her name is Berenice Scott, the daughter of Robin Scott, who created M and pop music, amongst many other hits. And she's a composer, a writer, session player, producer. She's in a creative unit called After Here with Glenn. They write film and um, TV soundtracks together and perform occasionally. She's worked with lots of uh, other people, including Phil Gould from Level 42, Wally Badaru, Marion Celeste from Nouvelle Vague. Simple Minds, she's done a world tour with Simple Minds and uh, done an awful lot of stuff with Heaven 17, of course, and actually performed live with us with the uh, British Electric Foundation and actually performed on the BEF Dark album, Volume 3 of Music Quality and Distinction. So here she is, the fantastic Bernie Scott. <laughs> You had quite an unusual upbringing, obviously. Uh, we have to talk about that to a certain extent with... Um, of course, yes. People know <laughs> who your dad is, or you should explain how your upbringing, I suppose. Let's have a go at that. Yeah. Where should we start? Well, you tell me what where era. to start. What era should we start with? You could go from... Childhood. Childhood. So, I guess, first memories or... Oh, my God, I don't know. Yeah, right. first memories. Tell me about that. I guess that, well, I just always think about we had a lot of people coming in and out of the house. So I suppose that's quite an interesting place to start. Um, I mean, I don't really know. My first two years were spent travelling quite a lot. I think we were, I spent a lot of it in France with my grandma while right. my parents were, because that's the year I was born was the year, obviously, that my dad had his, song so they were traveling a lot which was pop music for the listeners yes. who don't know but I'm sure they do yes so when yes yeah, so I guess they were very very busy and trying to juggle that with a new baby in fact I don't have, I've never really thought about it except talking about it like this now right yeah so luckily my grandma was on hand to have me and then they eventually bought a house in Sussex when I was one. So that's where we ended up settling for a bit. Right. Um, yeah. And that was uh, a country retreat, was it? Yeah. But they, I think they rented a house in so near where we ended up being for the majority of my childhood. And all I know about this house was it was haunted. And <laughs> oh, the, girl loved, yeah. the girl from Heaven 17 loved that shit. So tell us all about yeah. it. Well, I, the, I, okay, I'm trying to remember all the stories now. Yeah, there was so I think people would come and get freaked out. Some musicians would come and stay, and like doors would slam and things like that. And my mom says it was absolutely haunted, but I think they quite like that because it was a bit weird. <laughs> so well, that's good. Yeah. And um, you were moving on a little bit. They, you were. Encouraged to learn. I mean, you you, you obviously uh, had musicians coming and going and what have you, and so you were encouraged to learn instruments. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, there were well, there were always instruments around. So we had by the piano, underneath the piano, 
there was like this box of percussion instruments and so I don't think it wasn't really forced on us but I just loved that piano and just noodling on it and playing on it I don't know I just I just really liked it right even just as like therapy and and the and then I was very lucky to go to this school which had a really great music department and actually then my mum did force me she forced me to play two instruments so piano but she said you have to learn something else too and she wanted me to play saxophone but all the places were taken so I learned trumpet oh really yeah it's quite difficult isn't it I think yeah it's it's really physical yeah it's uh so lovely. can you play trumpet now I mean are you adept at that yeah I've still got my old trumpet I can uh I can make the noise and play a few scales right <laughs> that's right. about it yeah but yeah I did do it quite seriously I went up the grades and stuff I love playing in the orchestra. Yeah, did you did you ever get to learn sax then? After all that, no, I didn't. I never, I never had one because uh, Glenn plays saxophone, doesn't he? Yeah, a bit. And um, actually, Eleanor um, uh, uh, learnt sax and was in the Camden Youth Orchestra, and she's oh, got wow. a fantastic tenor sax in my studio, and she's not played it for about five years now. But oh my god, that's amazing! I know. Yeah, she should have a go on it next time you come down the studio. Um, so, so that takes you up to kind of, I suppose, early teens. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. And so how did you, from that put moment on, how did you get involved in the kind of, uh, the more, or aiming towards the kind of thinking that you, or what, at what point did you think you might be able to make a living out of doing, you know, playing? piano or keyboards yeah make a living do you know I don't know if that ever occurred to me the thought of what would make what I would do career-wise except for the fact I started writing pieces so on the piano and then when I wrote some songs I thought oh okay maybe I'll have a go at this have you have you still got those recorded anywhere or on manuscripts or anything? I think my dad's got them all. I think he's got my very early when I was sixteen, writing and playing songs. He, I think he's kept it all. I think he, he's a good archivist, my dad. So yeah. I think he's got it all somewhere. Yeah, yeah I'd love to hear those. Yeah, it'd be really cool. Oh God, I don't know if I want to hear him. I don't but, know. Give that a miss. But I mean, were they? Um, were they real in your mind? You know, I often think when I started writing songs, I kind of had a an idea in my mind what I'd like them to sound like, but I never had any means of doing it really. Right. Did you have an idea of, oh my god, if only I had, you know, if I had a recording contract, or I, you know, I, uh, uh, or was that never ever a thought in your mind? It it wasn't really. I I spent. I did music throughout my childhood and I sang and I did all the training and club competitions and things like that and classical because like I said my school was very arts driven and I did all that but I never thought for a second that's what I want to do because I was swimming and I was doing other stuff and drama and it just wasn't something I thought 
Oh, rewind. Oh, no. Okay, you did drama. I didn't know this. Oh, you went, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you did drama. So what, you thought you might be an actress? It was it, it was something that was, yeah, floating around for a while. I, I really liked that that side of things. And um, I was quite, I was fairly serious about it for like from 13 to 16. Right. Did you go to auditions and stuff? I didn't do that. I was studying at school and I went to do my A-levels. So I was on that, I was going to get on that trajectory, but then my parents moved abroad and for some reason I, it really was just a case of I picked up my dad's guitar and I wrote a song because I'd broken up with my boyfriend and oh. hated the world. <laughs> it was the only, it literally was the only way I could express my feelings. And then my dad heard it and was like, right, we're getting your guitar. And so oh. I was like, okay. Were you self-taught? On the guitar, yeah. He taught me a few chords, but I think I knew like four or five chords. Right. And so, when did you how when did you leave home? Well, they, they moved abroad. So I stayed in England when I was 14. They went, they moved to Portugal, but I stayed to do my schooling. Right. That was kind so of boarding school. Uh, assisted, yes, kind of a mixture of both because I was at doing my GCSEs and then I went to college, so that was a bit more like I I sort of did my uni at sixteen as opposed to eighteen. Wow! So I was like, in... you've been very independent from an early age, really, haven't you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, mm. uh, for... interesting. Isn't it yeah. interesting? We we spent so much time together, and I never knew any of this shit. That's so funny. Yeah, I know it's weird. Um, yeah. So, okay. So let's let's move on to <clears throat> how did you know Joel? Joel, but for the podcast listeners, Joel used to be our uh, our drummer, stroke electronic drum percussionist. Uh, in Heaven 17, and we were looking for a keyboard player, a female keyboard player, and it was Joel Farland who introduced us to Berenice. So how did you know Joel? I was thinking about this this morning because I thought, I wonder if this will come up with Martin, and it was really random. He had a friend called George, who was Australian, who's a musician, and I met him through another musician friend and then he was going to a party and this was I guess this was like 10 about 10 years ago now isn't it Maybe and, uh, more even. Uh, yeah I think it was yeah I can't, I can't even remember anymore yeah and and I I didn't actually want to go to the party because I don't know I was having some love life issues or something but I thought you know what I'll just go and Joel was there and that was how I met him and started talking to him and he mentioned you guys, and because I told him what I was up to at that time, and it was like that. Wow! Yeah, and kind of that. random, isn't it? Really? Um, had yeah. you had you performed with any other professional musicians then? I mean, had you you'd been writing some stuff at that point? Yeah, I think because because Glenn had seen me before, is it the year before? Because I was with Johnny Hates Jazz. That's so, right. That's right. He, so you, I think he'd already. We'd been on the same bill. I hadn't spoken to you guys, but right. yeah, but I had that's come across. Well. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, so that's good. Okay, so we're up to when you joined 
Heaven 17. And I remember when we first met and you were really kind of quiet and appeared to be shy. I know that's, diff- I know that's not the case now, but, yeah. <laughs> but um, I just thought you were really sweet and talented and, and you know, obviously good looking and and would look great for the band and sounded great and all that stuff. And then what was your impressions when you first came to work? work for us and you can be as you know as horrible as you want or as nice as you want to too well i'd seen what you're up to because of mutual musician friends and i i and then when i met joel and i did a bit more research and i was like this is very cool i thought you guys just looked really cool and slick and fun and i loved how you and glenn talked and on the media stuff that I'd seen you do in the interviews, I thought, what a great bunch of people. Oh, thank you. Energetic as well, you know, the energy that comes from Yeah, the we try we try hard with that stuff. Yeah. And then I met you in that coffee shop at Disney Chalk Farm, didn't I? Just came to say hello. Yeah, I think, I can't, I can't, oh yeah, probably on Regis Park Road or something. Yeah, just, I think it's gone now, it's by, it's by Chalk Farm. Yes. Oh, that one. Yes. Yeah. Oh God! Yeah, it seems, yeah. Like, it seems like eons ago, and it's not. So much has happened in between, but um, so so we're anyway. We your um, first gig with us was right in the deep end, wasn't it? It was. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Tram lines in yeah. Uh, in Sheffield. Yeah. Um, that must have been a bit of. A, a wow. bit of a shock for you. It was a bit of a shock for us, to be honest. Um, t- tell us your impressions at that point, then. Well, it was gearing up as a, as you do. You just get ready, and I always love to go really deep into the catalogue of artists that I'm working with, obviously, to learn the tracks and then the material. And and so I've been doing that, and then you just you get you go to the gig and everything, and then I, I don't think we had. We didn't have a rehearsal, did we? Because the BEF stuff was later, wasn't it, than that tram line? It was after that, yeah. Yeah, so I hadn't even been in the room with you that much. <laughs> and I just, I think it was just a wild, and I'd done a bit of touring before that and some small and large shows. And But as soon as that first track kicked in, I was just fearing for the life of the computer and the keyboards because <laughs> his energy is stomped. I just like... What the hell is this? This is stomping around. This is like, my God, this now this is a this is a front man. I was yeah, like, yeah. I just, it was just you both. It was just crazy energy. Yeah, and that particular gig was uh, for those that don't know. Tramlines is now in a place called Hillsborough Park in Sheffield, which is like more like a normal kind of uh, kind of gig uh, in a kind of bowl scenario. But the original tramlines gig that we did was right in the city centre. For those who know Sheffield, right outside the, uh, they set up a stage um, in Barker's Pool, just below the city hall in Sheffield, and it was a free gig at that point. It was pay- it was sponsored by the council, I think, um, and we had no idea what it was going to be like, if I remember. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Next thing you know, there's like ten thousand people. It's completely <laughs> crazy. Well, uh, it's mental. Yeah. 
got a bit overexcited that day. I remember coming off stage on the way off. I said, because I was in Sheffield and I'm a Sheffield Wednesday supporter. I went up the owls and half the audience cheered and the other half booed. <laughs> I don't remember that. I remember thinking, uh oh. And I thought, well, it's all right. I've just got to go back to the um, dressing room. But I forgot that the dressing room was through the crowd. Oh, yeah. In the, in the city hall. And I'm going, oh, my God, somebody's going to attack us. Oh, <laughs> what an idiot. You know, anyway, that was that day. And um, and then you became a complete um, fixture uh, for everything we did. It was almost inconceivable that we wouldn't ever uh, uh, not have you involved in everything we did because it just made perfect sense. We got the two back in Berkeley's. Yeah. That time was it still Billy at that time? It was Billy and yeah, it was Billy and um, I think um, then the first time we were in the room musically was when Joel was introducing Al Anderson yeah. and, and Rachel and Kelly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and then, um, and then of course we went on to do the weekend um, of uh, of two shows: the thirtieth anniversary of lecture gap and the first ever live bef show yeah and that was quite something because you had to learn a lot a lot of stuff didn't you yeah that was intense it was brilliant but intense it was so much fun so who was on who was on that show i'm trying to remember sandy shaw, sandy shaw. was boy george there boy was george it? um um uh google it Oh God, I can't remember now. Um, George Green. Yes, um, Garside. Oh yeah, yeah, Green Garside. Garside, Garside. Uh, Midju. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As well. And uh, so anyway, for you know, BF is is for the podcast listeners. It was lots of strange electronic versions, but we're doing it with a. Uh, a famous songs. We were doing it with a live band then as well, so it was quite a show. We were very pleased with it, and uh, it was a triumph, I think. All I remember was there was a there was a uh, a promoter who was promoting the show, and about a month before the show was on, he said to us, "He stormed. He was. I think." I think he was a bit enhanced, to be honest. Uh, he stormed into the management our management office and said, "Yeah, the show's not selling. Oh. What we're going to do? What we're going to do? You know, and like pointed at me and Glenn as though it's our fault. I'm going, hold on a second. The clues in the name, mate. Promoter, promoter. You know. And uh, anyway, in the end, you know, uh, they, they were selling two for one tickets and it sold out in the end. But that was that was." Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of stressful. Um, so during this time, did you have ambitions to kind of, or, or were you create, were you doing solo work or albums at this point? During since joining, well, about since joining Heaven Seventeen, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always been bubbling away. It's it's a it's a interesting. I often think what why how that has come. Uh, how that has moved alongside working for other people and it just it's always there but I I think 
in my 20s when I was, I had a clear vision of what I wanted to do writing wise. And it's still, um, it's, it's just took a long time to form, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I started writing on the guitar, but I, I knew that I wanted to eventually write on piano. But that's, it's hard. It's hard because I wanted the chords and the voicings and the melody to be um, intricate and just, it's difficult to explain. I've never really tried to voice it before, but just uh, I wanted to do a particular, it's like, I don't know if it's jazz or what, what kind of style, but it was something I wanted to work on for a few years. I suppose it's, uh, there's two things, isn't there? It's confidence, number one. Yes, absolutely. Like it, once you've done something and, and you've got that approbation from the audience, then it gives you the confidence to maybe go a bit further, a bit further into into unknown territory. Um, but secondly, there's the need to understand and and actually work with um, uh, arrangement mm. and. I was lucky because I kind of discovered uh, all that by accident, you know, uh, as things were going along. And I think same for Glenn. Uh, mm. But, you know, we've had a lot more experience than you. You're a lot younger than us. And uh, and it takes, you know, it can take a long time to... Well, to... It's, yeah, it's like that Miles Davis quote, isn't it? Uh, forgive me if I don't um, repeat it correctly, but it takes a lifetime to sound like you. Yeah, and I like that quote. I think it's really, and some people can get there really young, but but I always had this um, desire to play for other people. It was like a, a calling. I, I don't really know how else to describe it, but it just was always in the back of my mind, right, you've got to learn how to play multiple keyboards at the same time because you want to play with other people. So that was just something I worked on as well. in my Yeah. In my Do you find... Uh, well, I suppose let's look at um, lockdown because that was a, a, a quite a, rev a revelatory time for a lot of people. Um, do you do you find or did you find in lockdown that that creativity was was uh, not only a distraction from the horrors of what was going on, but uh, almost gave you the license to be creative? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think also it keep it was an anchor. I'm sure you did you find that as well. It was like an anchor to stay sane. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. A rescue mission. Yeah. Yeah. Cause otherwise it was Pim's o'clock in the garden every day. And Yeah, you can't be doing that. That was uh, I had to ban um self I mean it's it's self-imposed, but I had to ban actually have an alcohol in the house during yeah the I still don't actually oh yeah oh yeah I remember you saying that actually and mm. I think it yeah, thank god or else like not only be about three stone heavier but I'd probably be a lush by now um a lot of people had um the same conversations with themselves about that yeah so t tell me I know you've got you, you've just done a new album right Mm. I'm jumping around the timeline here. That's fine. Yep. In order, tell us about the new album and how you feel you've kind of grown into yourself as an artist. So a few years ago, I embarked on this album, which is my interpretations of some of 
Joni Mitchell's songs. And it's been a long journey because obviously she's an incredible writer and it's, well, I find it an excavation to learn her material and her phrasing and to be true to her, but then to add my own twist. And, and yeah, in the process I've, it's really, I've grown. I've cried and a lot and laughed a lot. It's been a real, it's been a very, very intense process. That's what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Tell me what, I mean, I love Joni Mitchell as well, but um, tell me um, what your personal, why Joni Mitchell, I suppose? I kind of discovered her not that long ago. I I, I didn't really listen to a lot of, um, very, I didn't listen to a lot of music growing up. I'd listened to the radio, but I didn't have particular artists that I loved until I was in my late teens and 20s. And I didn't actually discover Joni Mitchell until, I don't know, late 20s. Wow. I know, it's weird. I didn't grow up with her. She wasn't in, I mean, my dad's record collection was basically Leonard Cohen and Prince and just other, some wacky stuff. So that's all I had to listen to. And I didn't not I listen think, to the radio, no? I listened to the radio, but she wasn't played on the radio. No, I suppose so. Not really. I, I think all you heard was um Janet Jackson did she interpolated uh, uh tell, not, tell us about what touches you about her music, her songwriting. I think that's where it started from what wanting to do is because when you when you listen to I feel like when you listen to Joni Mitchell, she 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 takes you into yourself. So oh. you're you're thinking about yourself when you listen to her. Right. As opposed to, which is something I miss with a lot of popular music. Um, it, it's so, about the artists, isn't it? It's not yeah. about how that reflects back onto you. And 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 that's part of art, isn't it? The, the way it makes you feel about yourself. Or makes you, uh, yeah, make, makes you uh, reinterpret your, you know, your experience, either yeah. either contemporaneously. It was a good word, isn't it? That's yeah, a good word. Contemporaneously, or or to reflect on things that have happened to you in the past. And do you think that um, the fact she's a woman makes a lot of difference to her songwriting, or do you just think it's classic songwriting, man or woman? Well, it's it's. It's definitely classic poetry. Her poetry is formidable, isn't it? It's her, her songs are epic. It's proper poetry. Yeah. Um, and then I guess when she's singing, is there's a she's definitely very feminine. There's a feminine quality. I don't know if it's particularly gender specific. I don't. I don't know. It's it's what you interpret, I suppose. You can hear her as motherly or 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 not. It's it's how yeah it's it's open to. Hmm. What what are your, what are your favorite Joni Mitchell songs? I think it started for me with the album Hajira. That was my um. That's that, yeah. yeah, I was obsessed with that for a couple of years, and that's kind of what started this all off. And then, just it's very hard to pick a favorite because it's like a mood thing, isn't it? It's what it's whatever mood you're in. You can just pick a song, yeah, on her catalogue, and yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, good. So we covered that. And then, so the album's called uh, Joni Kind of Mood. Yes. And when's that, coming out? when's that coming out? I've got it released on the 3rd of November. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. And I think I'll have a single before then in September. Oh, brilliant. Um, okay, now we need to talk about After Here, don't we? So After Here is uh, yourself and Glenn as a uh, a writing entity, well, a band entity, I suppose, as well. You've even done live gigs, haven't you? So tell us how that came about. So I knew Glenn was doing, he did his, when I joined you guys, He, I knew he was doing TV and um, film music and he would chat to me about it sometimes. I think I think he was working with someone called Keith for a bit, but then... That's right, yeah. Yeah, and then that f- fell apart, yeah. Yeah, and I think when I started chatting to him, he was working alone and he was always talking to me about his various projects and... And he was, and I think he started sending me ideas just, just for, um, just for somebody to listen to, I think. And, and, and then I just say, oh, that's great. It's really good. And that just, it just evolved from there. And then he, there was a song that he had been asked to do. I think it was a Oasis song. And so he chatted to me about it and I ended up doing some vocals for it and piano. And then it sort of evolved from that. And I just, we started working on a few little projects here and there and it just blossomed to to our first TV show, which was Liar. That was the first thing we did together. So tell us the full range of um, uh, the, 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 the shows that you have worked on together. So we started with Liar. Uh, we did two seasons, so Liar 1 and Liar 2. And then... We did some stuff between that, some uh, theatre, uh, theatre composing uh, songs. We went to New York. In fact, we did a gig in New York, didn't we, Heaven 17? Yeah. And it's that the same period. And then we had, we did an off-Broadway show, A Clockwork Orange. We did the music. That's right. I remember and- thinking, oh, my God, I'd have loved to have worked on that, you bastards. That's what yeah, because like. obviously, because yeah, yeah, we we all love we all love yeah. a bit of that, don't we? <laughs> exactly. But no, I wasn't there to say sorry. No, mm-hmm. it was at the same time we were, we went over there and did some gigs. That's right. And um, that's where the name is from, isn't it? The Heaven Seventeen. It is indeed. That's where it's from. And um, so so you did liar, didn't? I mean, you've you and Glenn have been nominated for some awards haven't you i think there's been stuff like that i think we did vigil a few years ago and that got a few awards um we haven't done the bafta journey but i know that that program has been nominated for stuff like that we've never been to these things but it crops up here and there right and what um what how how do you do you find it easy working to picture or do you find it easier working to picture as opposed to as opposed to just writing from out of your head oh i don't never really thought about it i think they're two different they're very different right 
uh picture is really inspiring so it, it's very emotive and... i mean you know the the whole you know the whole thing about working to picture for tv or film is is you you are very much at the at the behest of what the director that you know the mood the director wants to achieve yes. so do you want to give us a little insight into that because i've not done so much of that i know you and glenn have done loads in fact i tried to get glenn involved in this tool today because i thought it'd be quite interesting to have a three-way oh, yeah discussion. That's... but he wasn't available unfortunately i never thought oh, about that. we should definitely anyway. do that I'll, yeah, yeah. That'd be good, actually. Yeah, but um, yeah, tell us about the how it works between you and Glenn, and and how it works with the you know with with uh, the people who are giving you the instructions, and how it works with the feedback and all that. Because people, we take it for granted, but for people who are listening, I'm sure they'd find it fascinating. Sure. Yeah, I think it's different with different. It can start differently depending on uh, the director you're working with. Because sometimes the director might have really clear views of music direction and references and 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 tracks that he might be using as inspiration. So that can be really helpful. Also, like guide tracks. Yeah, or like so. Yeah, a sound, a playlist, for instance, of maybe right. could be pop songs or it could mood be board kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, a mood board of music. So composers that he might be listening to so that can be helpful and and then it's not ultimately necessary I don't think and then sometimes there's just no brief at all and you get the the rushes and assemblies and you start trying out ideas and then you might get the feedback whether they it's the yeah, right yeah. but so a lot of the time how does it work between you and Glenn then who's who does what it is literally like a tag team Right. So someone starts and someone takes over and then back and forth. Right. Uh, it, it, I think that's the majority of, how, of the time. That's how it works. We and is that, is that, are you uh, uh, working remotely then? Sometimes, yeah. Ideally, it's better if I'm um, there in the studio yeah. because it's a bit quicker. In that the but it is possible remotely, but it's it's better when we're in the shed, yeah. Right. Glenn's got a shed, for those who don't know. <laughs> yeah. In his garden. And it literally is a shed. Um, it, <laughs> I think it's, he likes the kind of mancade thing. It's very him. Uh, but it's good, yeah. It just is extremely productive. He works on yes. the app. Yes, he's... He, well, yes. yes. So you're both very talented people. You've both done very well. How many hours of composition, say for Vigil, how, what, how many parts was that? How, 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 many, how long were the episodes? What was it? That was six episodes. Uh, and they were an hour each, were they? I think they were roughly an hour. With an ad break. So a lot of music. Is the music a lot of the time in something like that? It can be. I think when they're doing particularly with action sequences and uh, there was quite a bit of emotional scenes as well. So the music does a lot. It can do a lot towards the storytelling. Right. Um, I always find it quite fascinating when they want, you do, you might try something and then they'll say, but we don't want the audience to know that so-and-so is 
just the savvy. Yeah, the... and it just changes, and you have to like, oh, okay, right, so we have to completely change, which is fine, but you just change the mood that way. It's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Do you do you, um do you work on the basis that different characters have have themes and light motifs? Yes, that is really good. That is great when you can get that working. Right. Because that's why, I mean, if I, I've never actually had the opportunity to do a feature film, I'd love to do that. But um, that's probably how I'd approach it, I think. Oh, you'd be fantastic doing it. Have you seen Oppenheimer, by the way? I really want to see it. Yeah, I'm going for the second time tonight. I just think the, the soundtrack is just magnificent. Okay, I'm going to have to go and do it then. It's, it's just so... Uh, it's almost continuous. Mm. Like the dialogue is almost continuous. It's quite intense, and it's it takes a bit of unpacking afterwards. But the the soundtrack is incredible. It's just beautiful, and it's not quite as it's not quite Hans Zimmer. You know, um, it's it's more. I can't really explain. It's more impressionistic than Zimmer's. Quite literal sometimes. I think. Right. Anyway, and it's great, so highly recommended. I'll definitely get to it then. Absolutely. Um, and oh, it's uh, Gorenson, isn't it? It's, it's the it's, he's he did the composing, Ludwig Gorenson. That's it. Yeah, uh, and uh, I love him. He done. He did. Uh, he did the uh, the Mandalorian that TV show. I know that. Oh, do you know what? I love that soundtrack as well. I didn't realize he'd done that. Uh, mm. So obviously, I'm a fan. Um, and so tell us, um, how many you've worked with people like Level 42's Phil Gould and Wally Badaroo and... <coughs> yes, I did, yeah. Tell us about that experience for you. Uh, so Phil, I I started... This, the work I did with him was vocal-based and that was my first... Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so that was my first experience of, I guess, professional work and I just got on really well with him because as he's a drummer I learned I learned so much about studio vocal techniques and he I wouldn't say he's very he's bossy he's just he's particular but in a really lovely way right Um, to the point like breaths and um phrasing and and just all of it is just very intricate. It's very, the placement was so important to him. And also the tonal quality as well of how yeah. So I always think of that time working with him, which is kind of four or five years as my college years, really. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that far back? And um, tell us about Wally Badaroo. Wally. What a amazing guy! Have you met Wally? Do you know I haven't, and I I, I would actually quite like to interview him for the podcast because uh, several people have said you should interview him. You absolutely must. Yeah, he's a beautiful person, and I I kind of I knew him mostly growing up. I right. worked briefly with him when I was working with Phil, but but mostly I just he was just a character that was coming in and out of the house when I was growing up. Really, Crikey, yeah. so you've known him that long. That's amazing. We did. He did all the stuff with. Uh, we did a lot of work with my dad on pop music and the albums. 
Oh, that's of course. Because I rem- actually remember your dad mentioning it in the podcast that we did together. And yeah. you yeah, and I remember thinking at the time, I really want to talk to him. Because he's yeah. he seems to be like one of these zelly characters that keep popping up in different situations and uh, yeah for sure he's very he's so calm and it's such a lovely presence to have around i think and amazing on the and the keyboards just incredible and one thing i always learned from him was the first thing he does when he gets a keyboard uh out like the old synthesizers and stuff he's he says where's the manual he reads the manual does he yeah before anything and it always it always stuck with me so now i'm just obsessed with reading manuals oh my god well that's where i've been going wrong all this <laughs> hardly, <laughs> hardly. i've not read a manual since 1979 to be honest i just remember just being in studios and he's just there sitting reading the manual before he's even practically touched a particular keyboard yeah it's funny because i'm in the studio with Chaz, who helps me do this podcast he's my kind of right-hand man in the studio and um i've just been playing with the jdxa that you kindly oh, yeah. Yeah. have loaned to us and um we're getting into the vocoder at the moment which is quite good wow. and uh but you know we were uh, uh, we couldn't we ran some technical problems with getting it working and all that. and it's not it was our fault not and i said Chaz, Chaz, we've got to read the manual. <laughs> do. do we? Do we really? And I said, yes, we do. We really do. And yeah. it's your job to read it. You know, yeah. you're the engineer. And uh, anyway, we got to the bottom of it and it's all working great. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's great. Oh, good. I'm glad you really it. enjoying it, actually. Uh, uh, but Roland likes to make things a little bit complex, don't they? <laughs> yes and uh the answers are in the the um the manual or not yeah, yeah exactly and it's robot language isn't it i just think yeah 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 you're sponsored by roland don't you well i'm amb- I'm, I'm an ambassador for them oh bleeding hell that's the uh that's the term which it's, is are you queen of roland i wouldn't say no i'm not queen of roland there's lots of <laughs> notable figures but no I, I really have had such a great relationship with them for a long time now and they're great. amazing yeah I mean they're very they they kindly you know give me access to all their virtual instruments on on them and they give me some stuff as well and I tried to recently get a Jupiter X out of them and they weren't having it oh yeah <laughs> I mean they, they let me have it obviously with artist discount and stuff but so. yeah of course yeah give me a free one I'm advertising Roland all the time on every gig oh. you know? Anyway. Yeah, they're very, they're they're a great bunch. The, yeah. They're the nice people, I know. I'm only teasing. So yeah. Please don't stop my subscription. Is, uh, it, is that the Xenology that you're using? Uh, Rolling Cloud. Yeah, just... the cloud and all those instruments. Mm, yeah, it's brilliant. Everything. Uh, yeah, it's great actually. I can recommend Rolling Cloud. In fact, if Roland would like to sponsor me for the podcast, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know ask, you? Um, so where are we now so um so tell us about what equipment you use now what's your rig for touring or in the studio well both really 
So I've got. I don't need to, it's not a. Te- it's not an examination. It's just a rough idea for people who are interested in these things. Get me to go to robot language now. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. There are a lot of people who listen to the podcast are into all that shit. Absolutely. Um, no, for, for touring, I am in, totally in love with the Roland Phantoms. Right. Which I just, I just, yeah, I still can't get over what a machine that is in terms of what what I need to do working with artists. It just, I mean, I've come from the Phantom before, the G Phantom G series. So stepping up to the new Phantoms is, has been amazing. It comes from a, uh, I mean, specifically designed for live work, isn't it? And it covers pretty much every bass, I think. Yes, exactly. And that's what it works. I mean, anything that somebody might request from you, you can pretty much guarantee it's it's on the latest ones. That's right, Uh, yeah. They are are plug-out synthesizers as well, aren't they? So you can interface them with your digital audio workstation. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. They're door compatible, so you can uh, Ableton, Logic. Yeah, you can main stage. They've got a great capacity with main stage. And cool. Yeah. This is turning into a Roland advert. I can't believe it. Come on, give me a synthesizer, you bastards. <laughs> um, only joking. Um, so and and for uh, that's for live. So what have we got in the studio then? In the studio, I've got my, I've got a Phantom set up, and I use a lot of contacts. Right. Yeah. So do we. So for scoring and stuff. Yeah, and I I recently got a a Pianet Horner Pianet just for that a slight rosy sound. Oh, nice. Yeah, I quite like using that with a some delays and it's just. Of course, you can get the plug-in sounds of that, but it, it really does have its own little sound. So I quite exactly. like exactly. But you've seen, you've been in my studio, so you've seen it. You've seen the gear and the pedals. Have I? Yeah. When you dropped off. Oh yeah, when I dropped round. Yeah, yeah. But only briefly. I can't really remember. To be honest. Nice to you. Um, and um, looking at my notes, and I'm looking at you work with Pink. Is that right? Yeah, I was in that. One of my first things I joined this band called Raygun, four really lovely boys or boys men, I should say, who were quite yeah. young, and they were looking up for a, a keyboardist singing girl, female keyboardist to recreate the album. And then they uh, got on the support for Pink, the Funhouse tour, right. a couple of months. Was it three months? And where where was that touring round? Around Europe and yeah, Europe and England. Cool. So it was mad, yeah. It was amazing. So um we need some simple mind stories because you joined the Simple Minds yeah. World Tour, didn't you? Yes, I did. And, um spill of beans, come on. Which beans? <laughs> Any beans you want. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I don't know nothing. Nothing too too edgy. Just uh, tell us about those guys because I'm a big Simple Minds fan. So yeah, no, they're they're lovely. Jim and Charlie are absolutely lovely. Yeah, as 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 you can imagine, if you see or know about much about them, the you've hung out with them, I'm sure. Well, we were signed at more or less the same time for Virgin. 
Um, is, it, is it townhouse studio that you guys used yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we used to bump into each other quite a lot in in um, when Virgin was at, at uh, Portobello Road, Vernon Yard. We used to see him quite a lot, and um, yeah, I just love. I you know I love their. Uh, uh, I particularly love their first two or three albums. I thought they were magnificent. New Gold Dreams, that one of them. Yeah, just fucking great songwriting. Mm-hmm. Charlie's sounds. Oh yeah, yeah. Just amazing. And yeah. he really had a big influence on us actually, because we right. you know, that kind of epic sound I really liked. And it wasn't something we'd properly considered before. So it kind of had an influence on us. I can imagine, yeah. All you're all kind of doing that around the same time, weren't you? I need to get Charlie on the podcast. I've asked Jim and he said no, unfortunately, but um there you go. That's his prerogative. I don't think he does much. I don't think he does much interviews. No, I don't think he does. I think it's a, a particular thing that. Um, but um, and you sang all along the Watchtower, didn't you? Yeah, we did a version of that for. We did that for. Vanity Fair. That's it. Yeah, and the title music for that. So. And a lovely voice, Berenice. Oh, thanks, Martin. That's yeah. very nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah, it is. You you have a lovely kind of exceptionally musical, but kind. It's got a certain edgy fragility. I don't know if, how else I can. Uh, I, I, I mean, which I really like. You know that kind of that kind of thing. It's better than you know. I don't know. It's like it's like I, I sometimes. I mean, I listen to Kelly singing, for instance. Who's just should be a superstar, frankly. She's amazing. Rock star. Uh, yeah. Rock star. But she, you know what? It's just so she can sing anything, but yeah. it's like technically just perfection most of the time. I mean, ninety percent, ninety-five percent of the time. Absolutely. But what you miss, what one misses from that, I miss from, from something like that, is a bit of danger. You know, I like that. I I, I like, uh, for instance, I'm interviewing Annabella Lewin from uh, Bow Wow Wow. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And she's by no means has got a conventional voice, but it's yeah. got a, a, a real uh, edginess and attitude. And somebody said it was like some kind of, uh, something like a, what was it, some Malay banshee <laughs> combined with like punk and i'm going yeah. i like things that have a certain flavor flavor a distinct flavor and i think you, your voice has got a distinct flavor oh that's uh thanks so much appreciate that yeah. uh, i like that edgy fragility that's a nice yeah edgy fragility that's the way I'd, I, 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 I'd, I don't mean that in a it's like oh go and get some fucking you know no, I think I know what you mean. You don't know if I'm going to turn around and hit you one. Or, yeah. or, or <laughs> no, I would, yeah. <laughs> I would never take that risk. <laughs> um, but um, so what are after here up to then? So we are doing Visual 2 at the moment. That's right. just, that's ramping up. We're going to be busy in August and September as they complete their editing process. Right. So, I was on the phone to Glenn this morning. Right. About that stuff. Are you doing any more live stuff? We want to. Uh, we want to do like a few dates. So like a mini tour. Right. Um, which we've been talking about. I'm not sure when. 
we can fit that in, but maybe the beginning of next year. Yeah, so. yeah. I think it's pretty quiet for M17 there. Yeah, you're touring in November though, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's doing doing good business at the moment. It seems, it seems to be insanely busy this year. I reckon we're probably going to end up. I mean, uh, for people who don't know, Berenice is back performing with us while. Woo! Uh, <laughs> um, uh, while Flo, uh, our current keyboard player, is is taking maternity leave. Uh, she's just given birth to a little boy. What's a boss's boy called? Can you remember? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But I heard she had a, a lovely bouncing baby boy. Oh, he's amazing. Anyway, so um, but we're very lucky that Berenice was available and not on tour with Simple Minds or anybody else. So Berenice is back with us for now. Um, and yeah, so that's that. That's basically where we're at at the moment. Um, what was I going to say? Right, we've come to the smash hits bit. We're nearly at the end. Oh my gosh, I forgot about this bit. Uh, it's easy. It's easy. Just first thing that pops into pops into your head. Okay. Uh, favorite film. Car, which I just saw recently, that has superseded everything. What? Sorry. What is that? Tar. Oh. T A R with Kate Blanchett. Oh, Tar. Right. With uh, what they call her. Um... Yes, I, I, I've watched the first half hour of that. I must watch the rest of it. It looked very interesting. I think it's one of those things you have to be in the right mood for. Uh, Just, I, I, great performance, what I saw, anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously before that, I Glenn actually nicked my answer because I listened to, to yeah. the previous podcast and then I heard Glenn's and he nicked mine, which is The Shining. Yeah, the shining's just fucking amazing. There's a great documentary that I watched recently that, that um, I can't remember where it's on, but anyway, Kubrick on Kubrick, it's called. Oh, I need to see it. Have you mentioned this oh, you, you need yeah. It's really good. It goes into a lot of detail, talking to people who were around at the time uh, and, and you know, fantastic footage that I've never seen before and stuff. I highly recommend it. Anyway, favourite book. It's it's a can I say two? It's yeah. a two. So it's either a prayer for Owen Meany, which is John Irving, right, or Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh yeah, what a great book that is! God, that probably was... sounds really pretentious, but I mean it. It's genuine. That yeah. was, do you know what? That was um, Phil Oakey's favorite book when it came out. Really? Yeah. I remember it. I remember looking at it and going, "What the fuck is this, Phil?" And he said, "Oh, you've got to read it, man." Yeah, and anyway, I did, and it's really good. Favorite TV show? Anything? Mind Mindhunter, definitely. Oh right! Oh wow! You into all that? I, I'm probably on my fifth time watching it. Really? I'm joking. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Followed by, um, followed by Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm on my third third time of watching that. <laughs> all those, that entire series. Yeah. Uh, or all the series. Um, and, oh, he's so funny, that guy. I know. It's just, just when you think, he's just, you know, going, oh, well, 
maybe losing it and then it comes out with something that just floors me it's brilliant um uh okay um an epiphanal moment in your life oh my goodness whoa choosing my life partner Oh, or, or I say, um, being lucky that she chose me. Oh, so who chose who? Well, I, mm, yeah, made who proposed. A... Oh, um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, of course. Oh, jokes. That's so sweet. That that you're a fantastic couple. I, I, I think. I love it. Anyway, um, if you'd not, I know it's this is really hard, a hard question, but just if you'd not been a musician, what alternative career do you think might have been a possibility? Well, I know I said I was really into theatre, but every creeping through my mind all through uh, school and college and even later very interested in advertising the advertising world interesting so because it just it appears to be so creative and i know that it's a lot of it's a business i know that but it's just the fast-paced brainstorm i could see you in advertising actually um my wife lansley was a um, copywriter at one of the wcrs one of the big stages for years and years and um, and uh, of course, as soon as she got married to me, this actor. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you won't be needing this job anymore. He's rolling in it. How little did they know? Um, okay. Um, Favourite uh, other musician or composer? Let's say composer, because obviously Joni Mitchell would probably be high up there. Yeah. Who's your favourite classical composer or jazz composer? Uh, oh, d d with every without a doubt, number one is Debussy. Uh, just yeah. top of the list, I think. I, I I I would have to concur with that. Definitely in my top five. Anyway, um, I, I, another tip, uh, which I'm in the middle of watching at the moment, is there's an amazing, um, interview hour long interview with Jimmy Webb discussing his songwriting in depth and the process is you've got to watch it it's incredible mm -hmm. particularly as a piano based songwriter you, you you're just going to dig it because it goes into all sorts of uh, things to do not just with yeah. what's it called his influences it's just um i'll send you a link yeah, thank you. If you type Jimmy Webb interview, it'll probably come up because I think mm -hmm. it's had loads and loads of views. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's just him sat by a piano talking about how he made Wichita Lyman, talking about Glenn Campbell and and his favourite classical musicians, which is what reminded me. And his, his classical musician preferences are very similar to yours and mine, which are like, uh, well, mine are uh, early, early 20th century. Yeah, okay, romantic period. Um, uh, romantic, impressionistic, yeah. foray, and, and um, uh, but also like um, Russian composers, you know. Yeah. It's 
Stravinsky and mm. and Prokofiev and stuff. Anyway, um, who's your favourite visual artist? Or, or conceptual artist? That's a tough one. Hmm. It is. I suppose Dali, because I, I saw a lot growing up and I just find his paintings just, you just fall into them, don't you? Surrealism, yeah. Yeah, I love that. So wacky. I, I still have the images when I first saw them around the house, you know, no, started noticing them growing up. Have you ever read um, his autobiography, Diary of a Genius? No. It's just the best autobiography ever written. It's him. It's, it's a bit like, you know, like Kenneth Williams' diaries or something. It's a bit like that. But it's him writing about himself. And he's clearly oh, wow. a box of frogs, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't encumbered with drugs or drink, was no, he? No, he just had yeah. natural kind of uh, create, you know, a, an excess of, of insane imagination and, and creativity. Yeah. Um, he did, there's a, there was a, in our bookshelf, my dad had a, a selection, Dante's Inferno. And I think it, was, right. I think it was illustrated by Dali, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that was just absolutely wild. Just Yeah. He did opera sets as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, final question. Here um, it is. What's your favourite synth? I think I know what the answer is, but... I, I have... Oh, no. Okay, yeah. Well, I've, I'm playing with a really fun one at the moment, the Juno X, the Roland Juno X. So that is my current favourite synth. Cool. But if you had... Let's... I know you're okay. in. Okay, go on. Let's just say you had yeah. a free choice of yeah. any synth in history. Oh, all right. right. Okay. Wave a magic wand and say, that's now in my studio. Well, it'd be really nice to be able to muck around with a Moog again. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, they're fun. <laughs> would, you, would you prefer a mini Moog or a, or, 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 or a big Moog modular? No, just a mini Moog. I think you know. I I didn't. It, unfortunately, I didn't really get into them until later. But obviously, we had them in the house, and um, I wish I'd played more with the mini Moog in the house, but I didn't. Mm. It's too late. But when I did, it was amazing. I had fun. It, the mini Moog is the machine that that um, instantly converted Gary Newman from being like a punk. He literally went to the studio to record a punk album. This is yeah. what's on our podcast. And there happened to be a mini mood there, and he started playing it, and he scrapped the album and said, no, this is the future. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah, I can I can understand it. It's just so you touch that thing, and, and you're just off, aren't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Berenice, I shall see you as the next... When, when, well, it's Friday, and when is Friday, it? Hang on a minute. Next no. week. So, Sunday. 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 Yes. Yes. yes, we're doing Rewind <laughs> North, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, that's Fantastic. it. Fantastic. All right, darling, well, this has been oh. magnificent. And thank I've you. I've loved it. Yeah. Nice Please. to talk to you.
Easy peasy, isn't it? Yeah. All right, darling. Give you a hug when I see you. Yeah, lots of love. All right, love. Bye. Bye. Well, that was Berenice. It's great to have her back with Hem17 at the moment. She's on top form, playing out of her skin, depping for Flo Sabiva, who is away on maternity leave at the moment. That should be with us for a while, and then Flo's coming back later in the year. And um, yeah, she's very talented, Berenice. Uh, love her. Um, how is everyone? Feel free to email me, electronicallymartin at gmail.com. Or if you want to support this podcast, keeping it free and advert free and independent, I would love you to help out if you could. Patreon.com stroke electronically hours. There'll be another fantastic guest next week. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate your support. And thank you in particular to the Patreon members. Bye! Wendy Joy, this is her favourite podcast moment, Nile Rogers taking acid for the first time when he was a slip of a lad with Dr. Timothy Leary. Good, good lad. Yeah, hold on a sec. (laughs) And we've got Herbert Shemansky again. Again, one of his favourite episodes. Um, the story about the ticket... For, oh, uh, uh, Morris Hayes episode. The story about the ticket of the Prince live show that changed his life forever. The ticket that he, will, he still keeps in his wallet today. Isn't that amazing? Mm, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Um, and then another one from Herbert. Um, Hooky's story, uh, as in Peter Hook, about the tax inspection... And the average idiot giving the inspector the cash book. <laughs> what was that one? Was that factory? Oh, it was, it was basically, he had no idea how to run a business. So it was like somebody, if I remember rightly, somebody um, uh, just decided to give the tax inspector the... Uh, all the, uh, all all the, the book accounts. with the cash in. Yeah, right, okay. Like, you know, he's like, no! <laughs> what have you done? Oh, God. It was all off the books for ages, and then all of a sudden it's on the books. This is... Uh, an, uh, the, uh, these are a whole bunch of... Um, as, as if you haven't guessed, these are a whole bunch of people replying to what your favourite stories are from the episodes. Uh, this is from Kurt Hoffman. I'm paraphrasing, but Brian Hodgson's quote about not being a composer, but rather an actor on the in the world of sound is pretty damn good. Yeah, I agree. That's quite a quote, that. This is from our mate Adrian Gooch. Wow, so many great stories. My first few favourites, episode 11, Gerald Casale. Devo MTV video, Flying French Fry, flying French fry Through the Donut. Um, oh, be- we don't need to go into all this. Just, I mean, there's a lot. We should, we should take note of all this. But uh, this when I was asking for... Uh, possible clips that we could use in the UI. Right, 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 uh, right, right. Okay. But well, anyway, there's loads of them here. But thank you, Adrian. We yeah, will thank no- you. note all that down.